1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin
3: Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. As we mentioned earlier this morning, Dr. David Hilden is uh, taking some time off, but in his place, it takes three doctors not just one, but three, to be uh, his uh, guest host. And uh, all three of them have been here on uh, CC Radio before. Let me, let me quickly introduce by name these urologists. By the way, the topic today, prostate health, and certainly we always welcome your phone calls and text messages as we always do every week here on Healthy Matters. We'll give you the num- those numbers coming up in, uh, in, in just a moment. Let me start to my immediate left. Dr. Ian Schwartz is, is with us. Good to see you again, Dr. Schwartz. Now, um, th- give us wh- where would you grow up, if I may ask? I always like to ask that.
1: Yeah, so I, I grew up in a small town in western Wisconsin, just south of Eau Claire, called Osseo. Very small town, but 94 goes right through it. Um, known for the Norski Nook. I think I said that last time, so keep plugging <laughs> <Okay>. that. Um, <laughs> best pie I'll ever have. Um, Dr. Yeah.
3: Hilden probably invited you here because he wasn't he born in Wisconsin. I think he was. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm I think he sure. was. So we let you across the border. Okay. And what did you do your studies?
1: Um, I did my undergrad at uh, UMD up in Duluth, and then I traveled to uh, the Medical College of Wisconsin, which is down in Milwaukee, and then uh, came up here for residency for urologic surgery.
3: Now, why did you choose urology?
1: Oh, that's a that's a good question. I get that all the time. Um, the the quickest answer I can give you is I think it uh, it really gives you a good uh, challenging atmosphere a good balance between um, your work life your personal life and still the ability to to help people in a multitude of fashions so
3: interesting um, and how long you've been with the Hennepin
1: I've been there now. Almost about four years, yeah. Oh, okay, no, I started at the same
3: time. Very good, uh, Doctor Kendall Feels is back with us again too. You guys have had already a baptism by fire here yes. with Doctor Hilden, so give us your background for, for our new listeners.
0: Well, Denny, I'm from uh, the Great Metropolis, Little Falls, Minnesota. I don't know if you've ever been there before. But I've been there, yes. I have to give a little plug for the flyers there. Go flyers! Um, I, from there, I spent my training is really pretty simple. I spent all my time essentially at the University of Minnesota. I was there for undergrad, uh, ended up staying for medical school, and then all three of us actually were in residency together at the U of M. So
3: oh, I bet you have stories. We do. We do. We have a lot of stories. <laughs> Probably not for this show. right? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly,
0: we liked each other enough. Right. Yeah, and it's, again, it's, how, how
3: many years with Hennepin now?
0: Uh, Ian and I have been there. All, coming up on four years. Okay. And then uh, Travis Poliara, who you'll hear from next, uh, we recruited him coming out of his fellowship because we had worked with him before. and knew how high quality he was. Sorry, Travis, sorry to put you on the spot. But, <laughs> I mean, so it's been really great because we've been able to build a nice group of people that love to work together and are really good at our jobs. We we take them seriously, and um, we got a good thing going.
3: I know that Dr. Hilden asked you the same question, and I'll do the same. Well, why urology?
0: So for me, I, urology just had a great mix of the things that I've Found myself just naturally good at. Um, it allows you to be with patients. We, have, we spend about half of our time in clinic. I love meeting with patients and their families and hearing their stories, and I love the fact that we get to work on, on things that are meaningful, um, things that are fixable. A lot of what we do in urology is, is um, there are some things that are chronic that have to be managed over time, a lot of what we deal with is very fixable. Just this last week, we did three surgeries for kidney cancer, for example. And uh, it sounds like all of those patients essentially were cured with cancer or cured from their cancer just with the surgery. They need follow-up and time, you know, can tell a different story. But it's nice to work on problems that you have really great solutions for and patients tend to do well in the long run. So I find it very rewarding.
3: I remember when you uh, all were here before, you, you all seemed very, that it was a gratifying
0: uh, job, if, if you want to
3: call it a job,
0: right? It's not quite
3: radio, but... <laughs> <laughs> and it's just as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Pagliar, how about you? A little background on you.
2: Yeah. So I'm uh, from the Southern Delegation, all the way down in Tennessee this is where I grew up. So Franklin, Tennessee is a small town. Um, now it's a big town. But uh, then I went to St. Louis for my undergraduate training at Wash U in St. Louis And I actually trained to be an engineer first. Uh, And then from engineering, I did biomedical engineering. I I, uh, actually got a master's in finance. And then I finally came back around to medical school and went back to Tennessee for that. And then matched up here for residency in uh, the Twin Cities here at U of M.
3: Is that, does that happen often? Because I know somebody who's, who who uh, got a degree in engineering and ended up at being an MD.
2: So yeah, in the biomedical engineering field, at least where I trained, about thirty percent of people went on to medical school, and sixty to seventy percent would go on and do industry. Yeah. Wow, so it was a good mix. And and to go right to your question about urology, it was on the forefront always of technological advancement. They were some of the first ones to really adopt the robotic surgery. Really, they've always been using mm-hmm. lasers, trying to do. Some of the very first minimally invasive surgeries, like removing a kidney instead of taking an incision that was, you know, a foot and a half long across the belly, shrinking that down to five small incisions that are each under an inch. I mean, the first people to ever decide that was possible were in urology. Yeah. So I felt like this was the sort of specialty where I could jump in and use my own skills that I'd already developed and kind of maybe hopefully develop something for myself too. Like, <laughs> Why not? Yeah.
3: All right, let me give you the phone number and the text number. Folks are already uh, signing in uh, via the text, 651-989-9226. If you'd like to chat with the doctors, 651-989-9226. Now, if you've just joined us, us, Dr. Hilden's off today. Uh, Prostate health, that, among other things, uh, is what we're going to be zeroing in today. I know it's a Sunday morning. I know what, what, what the topic is, but we've somewhat tackled it before. And it's an important topic, and we do welcome again your phone calls and text messages. Maybe we should start. I remember an English teacher many years ago told the class the difference between prostrate and <laughs> prostate. Yeah. You hear that all the time, yes, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. What 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 is it? Let's let's and you all can join in. What the heck is the prostate anyway?
1: Yeah. So uh, the prostate is a male-specific organ. Um, first off. Um, and it's an organ located uh, deep in the pelvis. It's, it's uh, intimately tied with the urinary and sexual systems. Um, it has a, uh, a good role during your reproductive years. It's, uh, it, it's uh, used primarily for that. Um, and it's an organ that, uh, once you're out of those years, can tend to cause problems. So it's, uh, I, I saw a stat the other day, like 90% of 80-year-olds have some sort of BPH or prostate problem. Ninety percent. So it's kind of like it's
2: kind yeah. of like an old car. You know, you get like you're going to have a problem at some point. It's just a question of when and how bad. It's a matter of when.
3: Mm-hmm. All so. right. Is there is there an oil change analogy here at all? With uh, that, do I, I don't know.
0: Well, I, I actually,
2: actually there is, and there's a big movement to try to say that preventative health, like dealing with your prostate, knowing that it's an issue, not ignoring it. So getting the test that you're supposed to do. Um, there is a little bit of controversy that we 've gone through in our in our training, even about the p s a checking and whether or not it should be done when it should be done, uh, but it seems like the consensus is now back to yes, a check is good um, and at the right time and under the discretion of a physician so that you know with good interpretation of that number but uh, making sure that you're urinating well before you have a problem. You don't like, no, if you're having an issue, you should talk to somebody about it, especially yeah. guys. We're the worst about talking about our problems, right? right? Mm-hmm. We, never, oh, want that's true. we yeah. never want to deal with it until it's like really bad.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> my uh, my friend uh, who's a, a, an auto mechanic will say that when people come in to get their car fixed, they don't tell you everything because they, they don't want to either expend the money or find out more problems. And I'm sure guys are the same way in their health issues,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We see people all the time who you can tell have put things off for years. Um, Sometimes they can be very significant problems. I've even had patients who have had, for example, blood in their urine. So you can imagine how worrisome that could be. I should say. You urinate and you look in the toilet and see it's full of blood. And I've had patients who've had that for years.
4: Without seeking help.
0: Before they'll come in to, to seek help, yeah. So it's, it is really surprising, and, and it's hard to figure out sometimes what drives that. Um, but it just like anything, I think like the car analogy is fairly good. If you do know what's going on a little sooner, usually your options are better. Um, th- for example, with prostate enlargement procedures, um, there are a lot of options out there. But if you let something go on for, for years and years and it becomes very severe, it can really start to limit your options. So it is good to know about it, you know, kind of up front and then uh, might make your options much better. You might be happier with your options rather than um, being stuck with only one that you might not be yeah. as happy about. So. How
3: often does it happen when uh, a significant other says, you have to go in, you go in now? Does that, is that pretty All typical? The time. All yeah. the time.
2: It's either, you know, the, the urine is spraying too much outside the bowl, I'm tired of cleaning up the bathroom.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, That's one major question. The one thing I've noticed is that when you're in the the room with a man and his spouse or partner, that that's who you should actually ask to get the the true story. <laughs> the spouse yeah. or partner. Because typically the guy's story. not going to tell you 100% of the the total story, but the the wife or the spouse or the partner will. So All
3: right, I'll tell you what, let's do this. We need to take a break. We have a lot more show to come. And again, we invite our listeners to join in. They already are via text. Phone number, there is a line open if you'd like to use it, 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. We are talking about prostate health here on a Sunday morning. Dr. Hilden taking the day off today. Healthy Matters returns here on 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. We're talking this morning about prostate health. Three doctors, three urologists in studio helping you out either by phone or by text. Here is the phone number. But I think, doctors, as I was just mentioning, I think it may be somewhat easier for folks to send a text message a little little more anonymous, I would would say. So that number, by the way, 81807, if that is easier for you. Uh, Let's see. Here is the first text that came in. 61-year-old, have all the normal problems having to go to the bathroom, and then not much produces, having to go constantly. First question is, what should I do? And the texter also wants to know, could it be cancer? They just survived colon cancer. So what what are your feelings, doctors?
2: Sure. I would start right off the bat and point out that, you know, normal problems is what he said in the start of the text. And I don't think there's any really reason that you should believe that there is a normal problematic urination at that age. Uh Aha. Okay. So the first thing I would say is you should actually be seen by a urologist. Come into a clinic. Um, call the appointment line for HTMC if you want to and try to be seen because there's a lot of detailed conversation, more than we could even spend on air the entire time with one patient. Wow. Um, but the fact is I don't think there's a Mm -hmm. good reason right now off the bat that he should be having many urges. There's diseases called overactive bladder. There could be scar tissue in the urethra that blocks up the ability to empty the bladder called a urethral stricture. Um, there could be prostatic disease where the prostate is enlarged, and that's blocking up the urinary tract. So there's a lot of things there, right? Yep.
3: What would what would you, as a physicians, do when he if he had an appointment, he came to see you with this, these issues? Yep. What's the first? What would you be do for this guy?
0: So a lot of time, the important thing is usually getting a much better history. So there are some people that say urinating all the all the time, but there's certain. Things that we would ask about that might make us more worried about different disease processes. But one of the key tests that we usually do in our clinic for a patient like this is we have a special toilet. So, Denny, there's, there's benefits to being specialists. You know, we have some you special have tools, great equipment. plumbing. I yeah. remember
3: you mentioning that last time yeah. you were here.
0: So we have actually… What various, does that toilet do? This toilet um, actually measures how fast you pee. So it gives kind of a miles per hour to your urine stream. We use it for men and women. um, But there's a a lot that you can um, judge. Actually, I think years ago, urologists, and this is why I'm happy I'm a urologist nowadays, but years ago, I think urologists used to try to watch people urinate. Okay. If you can imagine how difficult that That is. That would be, right. Even as a patient. Yeah. Um, to just have somebody staring at you. Yeah. All right, will, let her go. You know? Yeah, good luck with that. Right, so yeah. I, it was a highly variable because um, I think most of us wouldn't pee very well just because we'd be nervous. Um, but now you can do it just in the privacy of the bathroom and you just pee in the special toilet and we can get a lot of great information um, from that stream. It kind of gives a graph, um, gives us some, some metrics to look at. Um, and then we actually scan the bladder after they pee to make sure it's getting empty all the way and sometimes right in those first few tests, you have a diagnosis. Um, other things we can do in the clinic, we actually do a lot of camera exams of the urinary tract. I know it sounds terrible, um, but it's really not that bad at well, all. It's not. No, not. No, we use numbing medication, and the equipment nowadays is you know very um, miniature and small. So um, we, we do a lot of that on a given day. One of us is usually doing, you know, eight or ten of those. Wow. I tell yeah.
2: all my patients if, if, even having seen a lot of different procedures you can have done at a clinic, if I had to choose one as a patient myself to have done to me, it would probably be that if yeah. I had to choose one because it's really
0: not that painful or invasive. Yep.
3: Well, that's good for some guys to know. For yeah. For sure.
0: Yeah. A lot of them are nervous when they come in for it. Very right. nervous.
3: Dr. Schwartz, what, what, uh, this is in this case, this texture is 61 year old male. Yeah. what is that kind of typical yeah. uh, when do we start seeing these these effects of of uh, these urination problems
1: well it's really the the older you get the more common we see them but um, it's not uncommon for us to see 40 year olds start to show the first signs of uh, of, of prostate enlargement and um, some of the symptoms this gentleman's having so um, and just to talk on the cancer side of things yes. just mm-hmm. to give this guy a little peace of mind it's yeah. probably not cancer but yeah. Um, it, it, it is important he's in the in the primary age range where uh, prostate cancer starts to to loom um, it is important he gets checked so he's he's not an asymptomatic man that we would screen for prostate cancer he's actually having symptoms so there's a very strong uh, indication to to check for that in him uh, and it's something that we can easily do with a blood test um, but you know it's it's it it's probably not cancer, to give him some peace of mind, but yeah. um, it's definitely worth ruling that out.
3: Okay, and I know, Will, you mentioned at the top of the show, but maybe after the, uh, top, in the second half of the show, we talk a little bit about the controversy of uh, PSA. We'll do that. Uh, you know, there, we have callers besides texters. Let's see if we can't help some of the folks out here. Steve in Roseville has been winning. Go ahead, Steve.
5: Hi, good morning. Morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Okay, so uh, number one, I'm 76 years old. Or young, as you may, the case may be. That's a young yeah, man. Let's go with the young. That's right. Man. And um, I have had an enlarged prostate probably since my 40s, and I knew about it. Um, but they've tested for PSA as normal, so uh, they don't believe there's any cancer there. But lately, I have um, realized that I have an enlarged scrotum.
2: Sure, that happens.
5: And I would like to, I mean... I don't know how long I've had it because I only noticed it in probably the last three weeks. Uh, I have had one visit, but I'm interested in hearing what you gentlemen think the possible diagnoses might be or, yeah. and what tests you would run.
2: Well, well Steve, so there's, um, there's a couple different things that can go on with that. So, one, it could actually be an enlargement of the fluid sacs around your testicles. Those are called hydroceles. Um It's not usually that the testicle itself enlarges, but a lot of people think that because it feels just like you've got an apple sitting in your scrotum, which is really surprising because, you know, you've lived your whole life one way and then all of a sudden you you wake up and over a slow progression the next week, you're like, whoa, my right one is the size of an apple. My left one is the the normal size, smaller than a golf ball, what it was before. A little surprising. So if that's going on, there is just a very quick uh, ultrasounds and actually on an exam, a lot of times we can detect and find out if that's what it is now. As you get older, now seventy six is still young in our minds, but yeah, um, you can get enlarged skin and loosening of skin down there too. There's actually a very boutique uh, cosmetic practice out in Los Angeles where they do reductions of excess skin down there as well. So
3: not surprising yeah, there, of but, course, out in yeah, L A. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, everything
2: has to be tightened and taut right? Right. out in L A. <laughs> yeah. So that procedure is called a scrotoplasty, which just you know means to remake the skin and reorganize it. But, so yeah. what should Steve do? Do you think? Again, it does come down to being seen by somebody, a professional, and oftentimes with that, even a primary care doctor has seen those enough that they can first make the assessment and say, look, this is something that a urologist can deal with because those are very easily fixed surgically, and they have a very good, durable result. With a quick 45-minute surgery, you are in and out of the hospital the same day oh. if it's a seal, yep. and they come back less than 5% of the
3: time. All right, you know what? We need to take a break, but a reminder to our listeners, we have another half hour of the show to go. So stay with us, call us, or text us. We're talking prostate health today with the doctors. And by the way, the next uh, Here for Health session takes place Saturday, August 11th from 9 to 11 at that beautiful building, the Clinic and Specialty Center, where a couple of uh, dermatologists will answer your questions about skin health. Uh, parking is free. always like to remind you of that. Go to org slash health. Or if it's easier, go to Dr. Hilden's webpage. That's myhealthymatters.org my to register. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hilden is taking some time off on vacation. Uh, in the, in, if you're just joining us now, if you're a new listener too, well, we're talking about prostate health and welcoming uh, your phone calls and your text messages. I can reintroduce uh, the doctors. There are three of them, urologists in studio. Dr. Ken Dulfea, Dr. Travis Pellera, and Dr. Ian Schwartz, helping us out this morning. And uh, again, if you have a, a phone call, or if it's easier to send a text, eight one eight zero seven. Doctors, we do have some callers, and let's see, and texters too. Let's see how many folks we can help out before we run out of time. Uh, John in Northfield has been waiting. Uh, John, what is your question, please?
4: Yes, I'm eighty-eight years old, and and eighteen years ago, I had surgery at Abbott Northwestern, and after that surgery, I was unable to urinate. So my urologist had me uh, microwave my prostate, and that seemed to help, and I was able to urinate again, and everything went well. But then, about five years ago, I had some heart problems and had two stents put in my heart in Abbott Northwestern, and since then, I have been unable to urinate. We tried the microwave problem again. He tried uh, some uh, laser surgery on my prostate, but I've been catheterizing myself for five years now. And I wonder if there's anything else that could be done so that I could uh, get out from the catheterization.
3: What do you think, doctors? Well, um,
1: so you've had a few procedures on the prostate. Um the one thing that I'd, I'd want to rule out is, you know, any time you do surgery or microwave procedure, laser procedure on the prostate, um, you're removing tissue. You're destroying prostate tissue. As you get older, that tissue can regrow. And over time, that regrowth can cause a, a, a repeat obstruction. So nothing lasts 100%, you know, for the rest of your life. But that would be one thing that I would want to um, investigate, okay? The other thing to consider... Um, you're 88 years old if you if you've been battling this uh, BPH obstruction for a long time as you as you get older, your bladder it's like any other muscle in your body it, it can get fatigued and get kind of worn out. So we see this sometimes in men um, that have had longstanding prostate obstruction even when you relieve the obstruction, the bladder just doesn't squeeze like it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so even even performing another procedure, you, you may just find that your bladder is not squeezing um, enough to to empty the urine. And um, there's a special uh, procedure we can do in the clinic called urodynamics to assess the function of your bladder. That would give us a better idea of whether it's a bladder issue or it's a prostate issue. Yeah, so it's very difficult to tell at this point, but th- there's definitely some more investigating. I think that would need to be done. All
0: right. Yeah, the urodynamics, Denny, is is essentially. Um, kind of like weightlifting test for the bladder. So we see kind of how much it can squeeze, how much it holds, um, and it might show. Sometimes it shows, unfortunately, that the bladder is kind of pooped out. Mm. Um, But sometimes there's still a well-working bladder there, and then the problem would maybe be fixed with another outlet procedure.
3: 651-989-9226 if you'd like to call in your question, or if it's easier, send a text, and we have a bunch of those too, 81807. Uh, but Frank has been waiting on the horn uh, from St. Paul. Frank, the doctors are listening. What's your question, please?
5: Well, I have uh, what I call hard uh, prostate and I have a problem being I have, first of all I'm seventy years old. and then uh, you know after the turp, uh, after I was doing fine after six weeks, I was being fine, but I had, to do um, hernia surgery. And after six weeks of that, so 12 weeks after, I have a complete blockage, you know, at the the ureter. So I have to go back again. And what they did was, uh, they did some, what they call wiring. I call it, you know, rotor rooter job. Sure. So so they did that. And now... uh, I checked about two weeks ago. They put a camera in there, and they said everything is clean. But I have pain um, uh, where the penis I don't know the medical term of it. I have a pain over there. Hmm. Well,
2: uh, you know, that's uh, that's an interesting one, Frank. I mean, uh, not being able to see it in person is really tough to assess exactly where the pain is and what's causing the pain. Um if you're having pain with the urination, it could be a bladder spasm issue where the bladder is squeezing too hard or it's um it's now you know, your your bladder has been weightlifting, basically as Dr. Faya put it, to to squeeze against that obstruction for so long that now it's still squeezing really hard and it doesn't have to, but it's kind of adjusting. I mean, it sounds like you're only twelve weeks or so out from your uh last procedure. So I think you're still within a range where things are kind of normalizing. Um and there are other issues that can pop up after any surgery on the prostate, like scar tissue within the urethra can build up. And it's, it's a small but known complication that happens to 5% to 10% of people even after you have a, a terp. And that's where the, the, another part of the urethra becomes scarred down. Uh, but if your urologist already looked in there recently, it's probably not there. But again, this might be a question that's better dealt with in person with a, a couple of these studies that we've talked about before uh, to really get to the crux of the problem.
3: You know, maybe at this point, since you mentioned the the term TERP, what is that? We I know you talked about it uh, your last visit here. What 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 kind of a procedure is
0: that? So a, a TERP stands for Transurethral Resection of the Prostate, and essentially it's a surgery that's done. There's no cuts made outside of the body. The entire procedure is done by placing a camera up through the penis or okay. the urethra. Sure. Um, so don't worry, guys. You're asleep for it because um, <laughs> a lot of men don't like the thought of that. Nope. But, so you're essentially put to sleep. We, we place a camera up inside the urethra. We go to the area of the prostate, and then you can physically see the blockage that's there. And for a lot of men, it's just um, very obvious, so it's not difficult to find where the obstruction is. And then we have different ways that that tissue can be removed. So some of the patients have already mentioned things like lasers. Those are available. Um, there's also um, just a, the way it's been done for the longest is with something called a loop resection, so, it's to explain it a little bit, it's kind of like a cheese slicer. Um, it takes out small slices of the tissue. Again, Denny's over here reacting uh, I, I physically.
3: Wish, sometimes I wish I would go to sleep just right. hearing it. <laughs> right, right.
0: Um, but it's uh, nowadays with the equipment, again, things have been miniaturized and the recovery is, is um, reduced. There, there are newer ways even still. Dr. Schwartz specializes in a procedure called a Euro lift. Um, which is a newer procedure that has a shorter recovery time. So there's a lot of ways to kind of open up that blockage, but it's all done by going up through the urethra.
3: It's uh, funny you should mention that because I was looking at a text that says that very thing. Recently, Texture texter said, I recently had a Urolift done. Yep. How long can I expect that to continue functioning? Maybe we can explain what the heck that is and answer the texture's question.
1: Yeah, so uh, the Eurolift is a, a newer procedure, um, although it has been around for. When I say newer, it's been around for I think about seven or eight years,
3: relative
2: to you the know. Terp that's been around yeah, relative for hundred years. Standard, okay. wow. You know,
1: there, there's a, it's newer; it's in its
2: infancy still, but it's great.
1: And and what it is, it's a it's kind of a minimally invasive uh, treatment again for benign prostate enlargement, where instead of removing the tissue, um, we actually insert uh, small implants that are made of uh, a suture nitinol and stainless steel. So it's a little tack almost in it where we see these uh, obstructing lobes. We actually, instead of removing that tissue, we actually tack it open. Um, and, you know, a typical patient will require about four of these implants to kind of hold open the urine channel. Um, how long will it last? It's a good question. Um, there's, there's data uh, uh, for seven years out for, for men that have had this seven years ago that show it's pretty durable. Um, but like I said, with, with any um, treatment for BPH, any surgical treatment, there's going to be regrowth of the prostate um, over time. Um, so I would, I would always counsel patients, none of these treatments, none of them are going to uh, last the rest of your life. Okay.
2: I think another good uh, analogy is that a, a terp really pulls the curtains down from the window treatment. So it just rips the tissue right out is what it's meant to do, whereas the new Urolift is meant to basically just pull them to the side on curtain mm. poles. Leaves all the tissue behind, but it tacks it open. Yeah, Interesting.
3: Uh, by the way, if you're just joining us, uh, Dr. Hilden is taking the day off today. We have three urologists helping us out uh, this morning, helping you out by phone and by text. Tell you what, before we break, I want to get Carol. Carol's calling from Portland, Maine with uh, a question. Carol, the doctors are listening. What is your question, please?
5: Um, yes, I had a uh um, for a bladder um, kind of prolapsing and about five years ago, and also the Um, TVT taping to help with urgency. That's doing great, but now I feel like the bladder is starting to prolapse again, and is that common? And what would, I mean, what happens to that after that surgery if you start prolapsing again, even with a sacrocopal
2: That's a really great question. So uh, I think the most important thing that we could tell you as, as guys who usually specialize, urologists who specialize mostly in the men's health area, is that you should really find somebody who is an expert in the field. Female urology is a very specific area of urology where people go through whole fellowships for two years, just training. And even on top of the original five years, we all have as urologists to really specialize in that sort of treatment. And as somebody who has had two other surgeries, it's probably important that if you're getting symptomatic again, you go to somebody who is an expert and you can look up an organization called SUFU, which is the Society for Female Urology and Urodynamics. Uh, and you could probably find someone in your area who has uh, the sort of expert training that you'd
3: want. I know that Dr. Hilden, when he's uh, talking with uh, one of his colleagues, uh, will ask how long, whether it's a urologist or cardiologist, how long did you have to go to school? You, you had undergraduate, then you had medical school, and uh, suddenly you're ready to retire. <laughs> it 25 like years. No. Uh, 25 <laughs> no. years. <laughs> it seems like it, I yeah. bet, yeah. But really, kindergarten
0: until yeah. the end, 25 years. <laughs> yeah. No, so it's, it's four years undergrad degree, and then medical school is four years. And then urologic surgery is a five-year program wow. for, for most places. A lot of the programs in the country are actually six years. Um, some of them build in a one-year research year. And then um, I mentioned earlier Dr. Pagliar is our super fancy fellowship-trained uh, reconstructive specialist. So he actually did an extra year on top of that five-year program uh, where he was down in Texas at a high-volume center in um, specializing in reconstructive urology. Wow. So he doesn't like to brag about himself, so I'll, we like to brag for him. But That had to be quite um, an experience. Wow. Yeah, and his services are actually, and you know, Carol's question brings up a great point about how even within specialties there are subspecialties and how important it can be for some issues to see somebody who really deals in these things all the time. So, right,
3: I tell you what, let's take a quick break. We have more show to come. Uh, the phone number is 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Well, when we come back, we'll pick up on more of those text messages here on 830-WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. Dr. Hilden taking the day off today. We have three urologists in studio today talking about prostate health, answering your questions, and doctors, as I mentioned, we have, uh, boy, a lot of text messages. Maybe we could do some little d- d- definition here. Uh, you've mentioned uh, the uh, the test, the PSA test, that I know has been controversial. Well, where do we stand now? Where do you doctors stand? Where, where where's, where's where's what does medicine say about that now? It's okay to do that?
0: Yeah, I think, and I know we're running a little short on time, sure. so we'll try to keep it brief. But it's a a blood test, so it's a very simple test. It's been around since about 1990, roughly. Um, one of the benefits to it is it's cheap, it's widely available. Um, this is something you can get done up in International Falls, you know, small t- hometown. Somebody
3: wanted to know what doctor, and it's you, Dr. <coughs> Fea, that's yep. from Little Falls. I'm from
0: Little Falls, yeah, Kendall okay. Fea. So, there you go. Um, but so what it is, it's a screening test that allows us to um, cr- categorize patients for their risk of having prostate cancer. Now, some of the tricky things with checking it is that it tends to go up with your age, um, so there are age-adjusted normals for PSA, um, and other things can cause it to go up, just like enlargement of the prostate also can make the PSA test go a little higher. Um, but we do, as urologists, even though it went through a controversial period of time and is still controversial, um, we do, I still strongly encourage uh, my patients to have it checked. The age ranges where it really matters is usually in that kind of 55 to 70 sort of age range range. Um, once you get above that, um, we you have to check it with a little more caution because people become more likely to die from other things. So screening for PSA is really an in-depth conversation. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of primary care doctors don't have the time. Um, they're so busy managing other things. Sometimes they don't have the time to do that discussion justice. Um, and every day in our clinic, we see patients that I wish would have had it checked sooner really? because it seems like we're behind on it. So... Um, I, I, on the side of caution, tend to, you know, encourage checking it, and then we can help decide kind of how to manage it once we know what it is. But if you never check it, you don't know what it is.
3: We had a call earlier that had a result of uh, 4.8. What's, what's a, a normal result, would you
0: say? Typically it should be under 4, um, but, again, there's age-adjusted normals. So if that, if that patient's, you know, around age 70, that could be a very normal PSA. Um, there's also things, for, for example, how fast is it going up? So if last year it was one, and this year it's four point eight, that's much more concerning. So the trend over time also gives you good information, and that's why checking it kind of you know year over year actually is very very useful as well. So it's hard to speak specifically to that that number. So PSA stands for prostate
2: specific antigen, and so it's yeah. this blood marker. And it, the reason it's not a perfect test is it's made by both healthy normal tissue as well as prostate cancer tissue. And that's why there's this interpretation that we have to do.
3: In 60 seconds, who wants to define what BPH is and what, what is
2: it? So BPH, benign, prostatic, hypertrophy or hyperplasia, whichever term you want to use. But it's basically a growth of the prostate. So the tissue that's normally there over time can get bigger. And you're kind of genetically predetermined as to whether or not, same way I'm going to have big feet or small feet, you know, and it might be the same as my dad did. So over time it will get bigger, and certain guys with bigger prostates may have more problems or more obstruction than a guy who doesn't have one.
3: If I live, not me specifically, we won't get into that, but if a man lives long enough, will he get prostate cancer? Is that a sure thing?
2: Well, there's one study that's quoted from a long time ago that looked at cadavers, so dead men. And men over 80 years old, about 80% of them had some form of prostate 80%. cancer. Yeah. Now, again, that's in a definition that may not even be really as cancerous now as what we were calling then. So it's, right. again.
3: Thank you so much. It's good to see you all again. You here. did a tremendous nice. job. If our listeners want to, to schedule an appointment with any of these great doctors, uh, here's the phone number, 612 873 three six69. 612-873-6963. 6, 6, Hope to see you back here again. We have a lot more Thanks, to talk Tony. about yeah. for sure. Thank you. Nice job. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.